Welcome. You're listening to Back Talk Doc, where you'll find answers to some of the most common questions about back pain and spine health. Brought to you by Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, where cutting-edge, nationally recognized care is delivered through a compassionate approach. This podcast is for informational purposes only and not intended to be used as personalized medical advice. And now, it's time to understand the cause of back pain and learn about options to get you back on track. Here's your Back Talk Doc, Dr. Sanjeev Lakia. One of the things I love about running a podcast on back pain is that I get to talk to individuals who are doing pioneering work across the country when it comes to pain, health, and vitality. Many of you know me, I've been performing acupuncture in my clinic since 2004. And one of the things that I offer in my clinic is a form of ear acupuncture, otherwise known as auricular acupuncture. What's exciting about this is that this type of acupuncture referred to as battlefield acupuncture can oftentimes shut down the acute pain response almost instantaneously. It's something that I love to perform and have really been researching it and wanting to have a conversation with one of the world's authorities on it. And today I'm delighted to be interviewing John Howard to talk about battlefield acupuncture. So John, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me, Doc. All right. Let me introduce you to everyone. John completed his degree in acupuncture from the Maryland Institute of Traditional Medicine in Bethesda, Maryland in 2004. Upon completion of his acupuncture degree, Professor Howard entered a five-year fellowship with the U.S. military under the direction of Richard Niemsau, MD, PhD, who is essentially the father of battlefield acupuncture. Professor Howard is both a clinician and an academician, and I've had the privilege of taking his course several years ago here in North Carolina and just loved his teachings. He's provided consultations at Andrews Air Force Base, Walter Reed Army Hospital, and has worked with wounded warriors and taught hundreds of practitioners this technique. John's bio and experience goes on and on. Let me just say he's a leading authority on this revolutionary technique for pain, and I'm ready to dive into helping the listeners learn more about it, gain some more exposure, and just have a good conversation today. So let's go ahead and get started. Why don't we start here, uh, John? Go ahead and define what is battlefield acupuncture for those who are not familiar. It's a form of auricular acupuncture or ear acupuncture that uses up to five needles in each ear to reduce one's pain. It's been around since 2001, and it really has its inception in the military. And then over time, it trickled into the civilian population. So it's pretty new in the civilian population, probably in the last 10 years or so, it's really starting to pick up. But prior to that, it was it was all focused on the military and military medicine. And give me a sense for kind of the chronology of how this was discovered and who are some of the major players involved nationally with it? Sure. So to understand Battlefield, you have to understand the inventor. That's Richard Niemzell, Dr. Niemzell, as you said. You know, he started his acupuncture training in 1995. And by 2001, he really honed his skills on, you know, using specific points to help pay people in his clinic. For instance, he loved three points in particular. And those three points were called omega-2, Shimin and point zero. You got those no matter what kind of condition you had. You could have a, a broken foot or broken heart. You got those three points. Right around 2000 or 2001 sometime, he went to France because that's where he went to medical school to go to a conference. And while he was there, he came across these things called ASP needles. And the ASP needles are the needles we use for battlefield. They, they stand for agui semi-permanent. That's what ASP stands for. 
He came back to the U.S. and he decided to speak to one of the authorities on auricular therapy, a guy named Terry Olson. And he was, Terry Olson at the time was working at the University of California, Irvine with a guy named Z.H. Chu. Z.H. Chu is the man who invented the PET scan machine. They were doing some research and trying to figure out how the brain works and how it processes this whole auricular thing. When he went to ask Olson about these needles, Olson said, look, I would love to speak to you, but we just got some new FRMI research that just came off the uh, plate here. We want to take a look at it. And Neem's also said, well, I have a PhD and MPH. Can I, can I come and take a look? He said, sure. And in this process, they found two points specifically, the singular gyrus and the thalamus. They found that the singular gyrus not only deals with the uh, pain of the person, but it deals with the emotions associated with it. And that was a really key to them. The other thing with, with the thalamus was they found that the first place that the stimuli reaches the brain, the pain sensor, it goes into the thalamus. So Neem Sal asked him, well, what happens if you put a point or a needle in these points? What is the outcome? And they said, we don't know. We just got this information back. You know, they were clinicians too also, so they haven't had a chance to do it. So Neem Sal went back to his clinic that day in San Diego where he was practicing at the military hospital in Balboa. And he said that he had this patient, I believe she had fibromyalgia, I think, and he goes, you know, I can treat this patient for 45 minutes and use all different types of modalities of medicine. And he goes, I really would get at great results, maybe a pain from an eight to a four. He said, when I use these needles and I use those two points, the single gyrus and thalamus, he goes, it was almost instantaneously this woman's pain went away. And I thought, you know, it's interesting that, that it works so quick for him. And that's how that evolved. And in saying his name, Nimzal, most people can't pronounce it or spell it. So you know, this is right around 2000, 2001. So when the terrorist attacks happened uh, here in the U.S., he was very patriotic. And he said, you know, what would be a really good place for this medicine to go? And he said, on the battlefield. This is where I think it would have the best impact. Because at that time, no civilian acupuncturists or MDs were doing this type of acupuncture. So he called it the battle for the acupuncture with the intent. That's where it was going to go. It was going to go right on the battlefield. And that's where it went. And, and to be honest with you, to step back a bit, 10, 12 years prior to that, when I was on the battlefield, you know, we had two drugs that we call them M&Ms, morphine and Motrin. And if you had a head wound, you had something with a respiratory issue, you, you're out of luck, you're getting Motrin. But this battlefield really revolutionized how we can practice on the battlefield. Now, granted, through all the wars we've been through since 2001, we have a lot more different type of narcotics and better things than we had back in the 90s when I was on the field. So it kind of stick. And, you know, from there, it started getting a lot of popularity. Matter of fact, just last year, the Air Force trained 10,000 personnel to do battlefield acupuncture. And they've been doing that now for a couple of years in a row. And that's just the Air Force. Wow. So you have more people doing battlefield that are in the military than in the civilian sector. So that's how that's a little bit of background about the battlefield, how it came about its inception and the inventor. Okay, let's back up 30,000 foot view because I have a lot of people who follow my podcast who are simply lay people who are looking for answers. And I do have clinicians as well. So an obvious question, and I get this in the office a lot, is how on earth does putting a needle in an ear affect another part of the body? Now, when I try to explain it, I know there's, there's concepts regarding stimulation of different cranial nerve innervation in the ear. There's embryologic correlations what would be your way to explain this to someone new to auricular acupuncture? It's embryology. It's really embryology at its finest. Have one of your, your members look at someone else's ear or even look at their own ear in the mirror. It kind of looks like an inverted fetus in a wound. And you can go back to physics where the part contains the whole, where specific parts on the ear contain specific parts of the body. 
and once you interaction of the, of the cranial nerves, that's how the body balances out the pain and its processes. So, you know, and that's the question everybody always asks. They always say, well, how does battlefield work? And I say, very well, thank you. And just go on with that. You know, <laughs> that's what I like to say, because we can get into all these theories and how it works. And, you know, that was one of the interesting things about Niemzow was that he was an oncologist. And he'd say to me, you know, John, whenever I give my patients more time to live, they were thankful. They, they went and just enjoyed their life. He goes, when an acupuncture season that works, they want to question everything. They want to know why, who, what, and how, instead of going and enjoying it. He goes, I don't care if this is an energetic aspirin. The fact that my patients are getting better, that's all I care about. So we can get into these philosophical debates. And, you know, I have people say, well, you know, you know, John, I don't believe in acupuncture. I said, well, neither do I. It's not a religion. You know, it's not something you have to believe in. But then they want to just kind of, you know, well, what about this? What about this theory, the gate theory? And, you know, all these other theories. And I said, you know, your guess is as good as mine. For many years, we didn't know, know how morphine worked, <laughs> but it still worked. It took us some time to figure that one out. And I understood where he was coming from. He, he didn't really care as long as the results were there. And he said, eventually, time will catch up with, with technology and we'll figure this out. So from the perspective of the inventor of auricular therapy, Paul Nogier, he was a physician, also a neurologist and who studied physics. And his whole concept was, you know, inverted fetus in the ear through cranial interactions of the different organ systems. That's how... We tell people works. Now, is that how it works? I believe how it works, but I could be wrong in years to come. Right. And when I look at any intervention, particularly with my background in physiatry and integrative medicine, my litmus tests are, does it have clinical evidence of effectiveness? Is it reasonably safe? And or is the cost burden reasonable as well? So to me, battlefield acupuncture, and I've been doing it now since in small scale, probably since 2015, but much more since I took your course in 2019, I feel like it checks all those boxes, definitely comparative to some of the other interventions we offer for pain. So moving forward with this, you mentioned something very striking. You talked about how many military members have been trained in the technique. Where are they applying this? Is this being done in the clinic setting? Where else are they using this? So battlefield acupuncture is a form of standard care in the hospitals. So even back in 2010, 11, when I was at Bethesda, Walter Reed, or it was called Naval Hospital Bethesda at the time. Now it's where those two hospitals conglomerates mixed together. They were using it as a form of standard care inpatient hospital. So the Air Force uses it at all 77 of its clinics and hospitals worldwide. So it's being used everywhere. It's used in the VA. And since probably 2016 or 17, I had the opportunity to go out to Parker, Arizona and train the Native American and the Hawapi reservation how to do regular therapy battle for the acupuncture so wow. it's it's now growing in in size and like i said still the majority of people who practice this are on the inside on the military process it's because the reason why to do battlefield acupuncture like in a state i live in maryland you basically have to have eight years of education you need to have a bachelor's degree and four years of education of acupuncture where in the military you get four hours of training and you're good to go so because, you know, the military is like that, you can't sue. And when I was on the battlefield at the age of 20, they gave me a big bag of drugs. You know, you wouldn't do that to a 21-year-old these days, but that's how it is when you're on the battlefield. You know, they, you know, situations call for different circumstances. You know, there's no scope of practice in the military because federal law trumps state law. So that's why they can get it through and do a lot of that. So that's what you're saying. That's why right. it's being mostly predominantly used in the military because they can get anybody. And I'll be honest with you, some years ago, I went to Fort Riley, Kansas, and there was a gentleman there. He called himself a secretary, but they referred to him as admin. And he knew nothing about medical except how to type it up. 
And they said, we want you to train him because you see a lot of people come from distance, Kansas, it was out in the middle of nowhere. Just in case all our clinicians go home, he'll be here to know how to do it. So we don't have to send them off. I said, okay, no problem. And if everybody had trained, you know, MDs, PAs, NPs, everybody on the discussion, he was the best. It was amazing. He he's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, well, you're doing fine. It was almost like he was like, it was almost like he was, it was a plant. That's how good it was. So wow. I find people who don't really understand a lot can get it. So it's not something really hard. It can be complex because you can turn this into mathematics if you really want to, or you can make it just five points. You can call it point one through five, or you can give them names based on the nomenclature that Niemzell came up with. You can make it easier or hard. So that's where it's being mostly provided for services in the U.S. military and VA service. Matter of fact, also NATO forces just last week, um, the Air Force has told me, well, Niemzell just told me that they just got a agreement to train 1,200 physicians at NATO forces battle for the acupuncture. So now NATO is going to be training the NATO, um, the military, U.S. military how to do this, how to do NATO forces, I should say. And again, for people who are trying to conceptualize what we're talking about, these needles are very small. They come in a sleeve that you literally can fit in your shirt pocket or in your coat pocket. And I think that's what makes it one of the reasons why it's so desirable of a tool that can be applied in almost any setting and outside of maybe rare bleeding disorders or hypertrophic skin reactions that people may have thickening, there's very few, if any, real contraindications or concerns, at least on a, on a broad scale. So this is why I felt like it's worthwhile having a conversation to spread the word about it. Now, you mentioned the five points in the protocol. Am I correct in understanding that we said earlier that there is some thought process behind the order of those points and how they're inserted? The interesting thing is, is that when, when you took the course, you learned it from me, you learned it the way that was taught to me by the inventor and how you would learn it if you were going to become a physician acupuncturist. When they train the military personnel, no matter who the personnel, if it's a physician or the admin person, they train them as a technician. So they say, okay, if the pain is, you know, um, left-sided, then you treat epilateral. And in some places we'll say you treat all five points bilaterally. So you're basically becoming a technician. So when you use it from the civilian sector, you would put up to five needles in. So, you know, you would stop when the pain is at the proper titrated level. So that's what it would be that you would see. You would see maybe it might take one needle, it might take five or 10, but you would always keep reassessing the pain after you insert one of these needles. After you insert one of these little ASP needles, uh, you'd have a patient walk for about 30 to 40 seconds. When they came back, you would say, okay, we started your pain with an eight out of 10. I inserted that needle. What's your pain level now from zero through 10? And you, you kind of go that way. And if you need to go further, then you would just do the same point on the other side. So you go the same, same back and forth. Where in the military, it's just like, okay, I have right shoulder pain, right hand pain. You're going to get all five needles in the right ear. You know, everything is epilateral because they're training them to be just technicians. So it all depends on how you, you practice this. It can be practiced as a technician or it could be, you know, it could be even more, more than that processes. That's two ways you can practice it. Interesting thing about it that I've observed. Let me just share with you a couple of cases that I've had and just kind of sure. get your, your instant feedback. I had a patient who had a recent radial head fracture, so an arm fracture, and was in a sling and trying to work through that in obvious discomfort. And we put in one needle on, um, I actually did the contralateral side. And if I remember mm -hmm. the reason I did that was because she likes to sleep on the other side. Sure. Um, and she said, really the first needle, the pain went 50% down. 
the, so that was a singular gyrus, a second needle thalamus point. She said it felt like I shot lidocaine in her arm. And she was just unbelievably shocked, surprised, and happy and was able to get through her work week much better while her bone fracture was healing. So that that was a real kind of, you know, my staff referred to it as wizardry because there's really, there's almost nothing else I can offer a patient that has that dramatic effect that I can at least do in a clinic setting versus a hospitalized sure. setting. So that's one. And then another case that I've been working on for a patient is that middle-aged female who has really severe disc space loss, almost a bone-on-bone end plate disease, and insurance is denying her procedure and it's an appeal for surgery. And she's actually been coming in about every couple of weeks. And we end up putting in three to five needles, uh, just depending. I let her kind of tell me where she wants them, which side and what color. And it's been sure. about a 60% pain reduction. And, and it lasts even beyond when the needles fall out. So I feel like there's been some chronic pain modulation with this as well. Love to hear your thoughts on the use of BFA for acute versus chronic pain. Well, again, a lot of people will say, oh, a BFA only works for acute pain. And then you'll have another class of people. And this is in the military will say, oh, I only use it for chronic pain. So you have this back and forth. I find that if a patient comes in, they're in pain, I'll try it. There's, there's no harm in that. You can't go wrong. I find it works on acute pain, chronic pain, neuropathic pain, all sorts of pain. What I sent you some time ago was this blood typing to see that it worked with Battlefield better. My goal was to find out if I can find a specific type of patient that this protocol works with or doesn't work with. That was the goal. Why does it work on some and not on others? It's not perfect. It's not magic. It's 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 one of those things. And if I can kind of streamline that, it'd be very interesting. I was never able to find out that what patients you know work better on than others or did or did not, but I was able to find some clues by your blood type. So for me, I do it on my patients that have both acute pain and chronic pain and even neuropathic pain now. There's a couple of points that I use now inside the ear, just two points, the real thalamus inside the ear, inside the concha. You just put them in and you let them walk and they're like, well, I feel my feet now. You know, so I mean, I'm finding that complex regional pain syndrome. I'm finding patients respond really well to that because it's a distal because it's not unless they have ear, you know, unless there are problems in their ear, you know, usually it's one in the limbs, you know, it's a really good advantage to treat them. And they're the ones that have this broken pain sensory, as I would say, it's, it's kind of stuck up all the time, stuck on, you know, so I find it works on a, a whole bunch of different types of pains. It doesn't matter if it's acute or chronic, it both, I've seen some patients who had old injuries flare up. So they're acute and chronic at the same time, you know, so it works on them, you know, so it's really interesting. When you had your case, when the woman said that it felt like he shot lidocaine, if you can just think in your head what her face probably looked like, she was probably shocked. You know, a lot of patients will walk around, they'll be looking at you, they're looking down, and you can see there's something going on. There's something ticking, they're looking at you, and they're looking down and looking around. They think it's a placebo, they're like, is this in my head? And I'll look and I'll be like, no, it's in your ear. I didn't mess up. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. You know what I mean? Like, no, it's, you know, that's a strong placebo. I'm not going to lie that there's placebo on a lot of things we do, sure. And means I'll be the first person to tell you that. But when you see how fast and how well this works and for how long, you know, you start to think, well, beyond placebo, what's going on here? Why does this patient have this incredible results? Maybe this patient over here doesn't, you know, that's where I wanted to find that. I guess you can say that information that would give me the full picture on how to treat better with any condition. And I, and I couldn't because it works on any different types of pain, not hundred percent on either or, or but it has really good results. 
And like you said, it, it's cheap and it's effective and it's fast and it's easy. And it, there's really little, little side effects. The worst side effect I can think of is if one of these years, you know, one of these needles causes an infection, there's not a lot of uh, blood flow to the ear. So that can cause an outer ear infection if possible. But if you take the precautions, it's minimal like everything else, you know? So for me, I use it on all different types of pain. I can't say that it works better on acute or chronic, but I can tell you that it just works based on the patient's pathology. Yeah, one of the things that uh, you and then also my uh, mentor, Dr. Uh, Helms, who I, when I did my training with Joe Helms, had kind of cautioned on was over-treating. And I have had a few cases where I've, you almost as a practitioner get too excited when you see a response and the pain drops from a nine down to a two. And then you try and go for the one or zero and you over-treat. So I've had, I you know, I kind of tell the patient, I, I dwarfed you up, too much endorphin release. They get a little lightheaded and you have to sit them down, lay them down. So that is a caution. So my typical goal is if I can get them to around a three, I let the body yeah. kind of take it from there. Yeah, you go you go from looking cool to like a fool. I've had that experience many of times. What I've done in the past when I've done that, I just retreated. Like, you know, I, you know, they drop down on, oh, we're at a half a point. Let me see if I get it to a zero. You know what I'm saying? Right. And then the pain would spike back up where they have these symptoms. And I would just start pulling the needles out in order that the last step went in and, and the symptoms would disappear. I've done that a few times. For me though, it's been as a practitioner, it's a it's an amazing tool to have in the toolbox when people come in with pain and being able to deliver something in the moment. Briefly touch on a little more if you're comfortable with the needles. The ASP needles you talked about earlier, gold, yeah. classic, titanium. And there was some discussion in our course about some importance regarding the actual material, the metal itself and its role in the therapeutic process. When I was with the Air Force, they would all get gold. And I'd ask Neems I said, why do you give gold? And he would say, you know, well, patients perform, or they prefer gold or something like that. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. And then I didn't, at that time, I didn't know there was other types. There was the classic needle, which is the stainless steel. And then there's another needle that just came out in, I think, 95. It's called the titanium needle. So there's three different types of metals you can use. So when I was doing my own practice, you know, I have a, a different demographics than the military does. I would start putting needles in and one time this patient said, oh, you have gold. Do you have anything other than gold? Because I, I prefer silver. I prefer silver jewelry. Oh, that's really interesting. So I would always ask the patients after, before I treat, I said, you know, if you're going to wear jewelry, what type of jewelry do you prefer to wear, gold or silver? You know, white gold or platinum or something, you know, you get those things. But most patients will tell you, because if you, if you put gold in somebody who doesn't want gold in their ears, it's going to affect how long that needle stays in. It might affect their overall outcome. You know, and after a while, you can start to tell who wants gold and who wants silver. I mean, an easy way of saying this is if your patient shops at Hot Topic in the mall, they look like vampires, they're probably going to want silver. They're just probably, gold's a little too flashy. Some of my patients who are immune compromised, I'll use the titanium needles. Or if I'm doing something like a pre-surgical treatment, I'll do titanium needles because they're designed to go inside the OR where there's no... Um, there's no arc from the scalpel where you can run through MRI. They were designed to go through MRI machines because they're non-magnetic. So getting the proper needle and the proper patient is, 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 is all about titration, you know, about that's the start of it. So you gotta, you gotta have, you know, just ask them, say what you prefer, let them tell you, it, you know, if you try to guess, you're probably gonna be 50% right. It's just fascinating. There's a lot of rabbit holes you can go down yeah. now. You do a ton of teaching. Um, it's obvious to me you're passionate about educating other clinicians on this technique. 
share a little bit with people listening, some of the programs that you run. Well, like I said, I, I do, I teach to both the military, the VA and the Native Americans and civilian population here in the US and in Europe. So we usually get people will come in and the class will, will start with the morning. It was a didactic. Well, you'll learn the basic points, how to learn to put the needles in, a little bit about the precautions, what you should and should not do. You get those general housekeeping things out of the way. The afternoon is now you're going to take what you learned in the morning and put it into real practical use, which I really like. So you get to didactic in the morning, you get to clinical hands-on in the afternoon. That's how our classes usually run. And there are two days. So the first day would be like the basic battlefield. We get to learn how to use the basic points and understand the concepts of it. And the advanced techniques are where you can start adding more than one needle on one specific point. Or, you know, let's say you're using battlefield and the results are either going slow or not getting what you want. What you can also do is add in specific pathology and specific needles that, that will address the pathology or symptomology. So you can you can do an advanced technique. And then if you find one point that works really well, you can take a second needle and put it right next to it and have like a little galvanic, galvanic current. And you'll see that the uh, results even dropping further. So there's a lot of things you can do with this battlefield. Like I said, it can be either really hard, you can make it complex or, you know, either way, it's really fun to learn because it works so well on these patients and they're excited about it. They're, you know, a lot of my patients, you know, they either don't want medicine for some reason or they can't be on medicine because they're on a lot of medicines for some reason. But the battlefield, there's no, inter there's no contradiction with the medicine. You know, you can't say, well, since you're on this medication, I can't give you this needle. It, there's none of that. There's no thinking in that process. You don't have to contact the pharmacy and see if there's any problems with this. It's it's that simple. And it's it's all about, you know, just learning how to put those needles in and helping your patients. And you'd be surprised how well it works. Something so simple can be so good. Yeah, it's just fascinating. Uh, do you also want to share a little bit? I just ordered hot off the press, your new uh, Ricular Atlas that you co-authored. Oh. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So during the pandemic, um, I had to find something to do because I was kind of bored and kind of going, you know, crazy. Here in Maryland, we weren't considered essential employees in the beginning. So in March, they said, okay, because I work at a physician's office in Kensington, Maryland. She said, I'll look for a phone call for me around September. And I said, oh, that gives me a whole bunch of time. So I was looking through my notes and I was just kind of going through things. And I thought, you know, I really want to write a book about something, about auricular therapy. And I got a call from a, a girl, a friend of mine from, from Germany. And she was trying to put together a book that was published many years ago that I published here in the U.S., and we were talking about, you know, how can we get this book in from English into German? And she goes, why don't we work on something together that will combine what you want to do, combine with the, the information that's been out there. And I said, that's a great idea. So she wrote half and I wrote the other half of the book. And she's an incredible illustration personnel. And she's the one who did the printing of it, or I should say the uh, printing of the European. And she was great on that. All I could provide her with was my transcripts and, you know, did everything, wrote as wrote much as I could. And she did everything and it basically goes into all of the works that it's really hard to find because when you buy a book on auricular therapy, unfortunately, here's what happens. You have the guy who invented, which was a guy named Paul Nogier, and he's considered a father by uh, the Chinese government. Mao Zedong's government in 1959 gave him full credit. They said, you know, this is something we're going to incorporate. We're going to call this auricular therapy or acupuncture, and now you're the father of it. Over time, the Chinese have this tendency to be like, oh, no, no, this isn't our... This has been our text for 10,000 years and look at these rocks and look at a cave drawing. So then you have other people coming up and saying, oh, no, it's over here. So you have these different schools now of fractions out, fractioned off. So 
if you buy a book, you're not you're not going to get the whole story of the inventor of how his stuff was. You're going to get some of his stuff. You're going to get a lot of the Chinese stuff. Because most people practice on the outside are acupuncturists, so that resonates well with them. So what we wanted to do is give them a full history and a full story from the beginning, because some of the books that I have, you, it's really hard to find. They're expensive. I had to get them from Spain. They had to be flown in. I mean, it's some crazy stuff. And I said it's ridiculous. I don't know what the copyrights are on a lot of the stuff. So I said, why don't we work together and put together something? That's not easily accessible, but it will be once we get this knowledge together. So that was the whole concept of this book, was to put together all of the theories and schools from the original inventor that haven't been out there in many years. And that's what this book's about. Matter of fact, your book was just mailed out the other day. I saw it come through. It's on its way. Awesome. Tracking information. Well, thank you for so, putting the effort in for that. So people like me can benefit trying to help and take care of patients. This was a great discussion. It's a it's not a new technique, but it is new to a lot of people. Sure. Uh, so uh, I really appreciate you taking the time from a busy schedule. And you know, as you know, as a licensed acupuncturist, you're always working towards helping people maintain energetic balance in their life. So before I let you go, do you want to share a few tips that you have found helpful for your own personal health and fitness that keep you vibrant, energetic, and uh, you know, part of the group of uh, clinicians helping people feel better? Well, I find that um, for me personally, I, I do use battlefield on myself and, and it's kind of hard to do it on yourself because, you know, it's not the most pleasant thing, but it seems to work really well. Whenever I feel like I'm starting to get a cold or I feel like maybe I feel run down or I just mentally, because I've been working in the clinic all the time, I use battlefield on myself and it works great. I mean, when I first, when the first time I had it, I thought it worked well on other people, but when it works on you, it's kind of like, whoa, right, this is interesting because we have this concept that works on them, not me. But, you know, I, I'm the type of person who believes in the medicine and uses the medicine. I'm not the one just believing it and pushing it. I'm really using it. So for me, you know, proper rest, sleep, exercise, and battlefield, it goes a long way. I mean, I'm sure you're really busy being a physiatrist and seeing a lot of patients. And after a while, you just get run down, you know, for sure. you're tired and you don't eat really well. And then, you know, all those things kind of add up over time. With the battlefield, I'm amazed how well it works. It kind of gives me a little, a little oomph. You know, a little more bump to it and it works great i mean it's from that perspective also using just you know just general techniques i learned in acupuncture i'll give you an example so everybody talks about diet everybody says oh diet and I, here's the best diet here's the other diet and, and the chinese diet was really simple they said look outside what's the weather well it's hot and dry eat something cold and wet well, yeah do the opposite it's cold well you eat something hot and dry it was it was a yin yang thing i thought oh isn't that amazing so something simple, it doesn't matter what you eat, just do the opposite of weather. So if you want to you want to try this out on a cold, snowy day, eat a, eat a Caesar salad with extra dressing. See, see if you don't feel really sluggish. They'd say, you know, grill like something like salmon on a grill or use cinnamon. You know, so these little concepts, just a little thing like that. Just look outside. What's the weather? Do the opposite of your diet. It doesn't matter what you eat. It was incredible. You know, I love, and I, just, I love the simplicity. Yeah, I mean, it's like battlefield. It's like, don't make it, you know, don't make it too complex. The other thing that I think will help patients is that, you know, when I worked with Neem's out, one of the things with him was you always view the glass as half full, not half empty. And I'm sure you asked the patient the question you're going to, I'm going to tell you today. You know, you always ask them, your name, how old you are, you know, what are you here for? Well, when he would ask those questions, he'd ask their name. And when he asked them their age, he would say, ma'am, can you tell me how young you are? not how old you were, but how young you were. And you would see them look at you because they never had anybody ask them how young they were. It was always how old you were. And you would see something just flip the switch. 
Maybe it was a placebo or not, but it's how you approach it, how you approach the treatment. And I always found those little tips to help me and help my longevity of doing this. So that that's are some of the tips I have. One is I use Battlefield of Two. Simple diet. Look outside. Whatever the weather is, do the opposite. It's hot, eat something cold. If it's cold, eat something hot. It's that simple. That's amazing. You know, they they talk about that a little bit in Ayurvedic medicine as well, about kind of balancing your doshas and but we intuitively will do that if it's cold, you're looking for some hot, warm chicken soup or a cup sure. of ginger tea. So it's good to keep it simple and not get too complicated with macro diets sure. and food plans. Well, listen, John, I really enjoyed this conversation and I appreciate your time. Hopefully I can catch up with you soon next time you're sure. running some courses in North Carolina and yeah. look forward to hopefully we can stay in touch. All right, Doc, you have a good day. Okay, thank you. Take care. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Back Talk Doc, brought to you by Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, with offices in North and South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Lakia and treatment options for back issues, go to backtalkdoc.com. We look forward to having you join us for more insights about back pain and spine health on the next episode of Back Talk Doc. Additional information is also available at carolinaneurosurgery.com.